Welcome to No Compromises, a peek into the mind of two old web devs who have seen some things. This is Joel. And this is Aaron. PHP, like most languages, is steadily marching forward. New versions get released. Old versions have support dropped. And, uh, you know, for example, PHP 7.4. Oh, that one was near and dear to my heart. And uh, it's end of life, right? It, it's, not, it's not even getting the security fixes anymore. And so when you're working in a project, I, I hope you're updating to at least a supported version of PHP. But when you do that, you gain some other things, right? So let's say you went from 7.4 and maybe jumped all the way to 8.1. I say mm-hmm. that like it's hard to do. But anyways, um, that's not just getting you support. It's getting you new language features and things that you can take advantage of. And so you and I were kind of talking about this and uh, wanted to hash out like when, if you do that, if you update your project to 8.1, like when do you start taking advantage of those new language features? Like, do you go through your whole app and update something? Or is it like as you touch a file or, you know, is it when you build something new? And so I'll kind of kick it off that way, Aaron. And I want to hear your take on it. Well, I think, first of all, you have to kind of, the the answer might depend on the type of team you're in Mm, um so the other day i was i don't know if i was listening to something or reading something and they made a joke about engineering managers um and they're like well you know engineering managers never want to upgrade software or processes so you really have to really try to convince them Mm. and i'm like i i I don't know if that's the case i think it's that there is uh, a sort of goal of time and they're responsible for that um and you know releasing product at the at the proper time and so upgrading stuff unless you can definitely point that it's going to hit a due date, they're less likely to be interested in that point. I bring that up is because it depends on what, um, what, what type of team you're in. If you're in like a small right. team, two or three, or if you're in a large team, mm-hmm. eight, 10 developers, multiple teams working on something, yeah. bosses and stuff. So I think the answer is a little bit different for, for those two things. Yeah. Fair point. You know, there might even be like compliance and auditing and like a separate operations team. Like, yeah, the bigger the team, the, the more you might have to think about something like this versus if you're a solo dev or somebody on a small team. Yeah. So I think we can probably tar- target the smaller, mm-hmm. um, either solo dev or, or small teams first. So the question really is, let's just say you got a new set of features or um, language features um, and you're doing maybe some code in a, in a class or whatever. How do you know that it's time to upgrade to those new sets of features? Yeah. So I think the first question I would ask is, does does the new feature give me some sort of performance performance that's needed? Not just performance increase, but per- mm-hmm. performance increase that's needed, um, security um, improvement, or does it make the code? Uh, I'm, I would say I want to say objectively, but is but objectively easier to read? Yeah, um, or just a simpler, right? Right. Um, so you know, with this new language set, can I? Can I do the same thing where it's easy to understand and follow and it doesn't require 10 lines? It requires one. Mm, so, okay. you know, um, so th- I guess I kind of combined a bunch of stuff there. Yeah. But I, I think the first one to focus on is like, does it give me um, improvements on performance that are needed? Right. So there's a difference there between whether the, the performance, I mean, because it could give you perf- better performance, but do you actually need performance? Do you need the code to speed up in that? area based off the amount of time it's going to take you to change the code and the amount of money or energy required for people to review the code changes you've made 
Right. Yeah, it's a trade-off. And and I think performance is kind of an interesting one because at least my experience has been the performance improvements are just from upgrading the, the language and less from, oh, now I'm using like read-only classes or something. Like th- th- there mm-hmm. could be exceptions to that, but I think um, there's probably very few new language features that are purely about performance. It's usually about kind of like the ergonomics of the code and, and trying to express something more clearly or concisely. Yeah. I think you can look at stuff like, um, you know, using generators, for example. Sure. And yeah. you, you can find reasons why you might want to use that. Um, there's a lot of legitimate reasons, mm-hmm. but you you don't really need to apply a generator to get better performance on something that's only retrieving three things from a database that right. don't have heavy lifting involved. Right. That's um, a good one. And so so that's that's a good example of like, yeah, the, I technically probably could give me a little performance boost, but it's not really necessary. No, it's negligible. Yeah, for sure. What what about the readability one, though? Because that that one I see a lot. Um, and I like like my first reaction is. If it's new to the project, it might be new to the team. You know, maybe not everybody on the team is keeping up with all the RFCs and like the release notes and stuff. And so if you introduce some feature, some different way of expressing like a constructor that's shorter and like the first time the team sees it, they might be, what's that about? Right. Or like, yeah, why is it only in these two files? <laughs> like, it, Yeah. Well, I, th- I think um, that could be like PHP or it could be even like a Laravel upgrade. Mm-hmm, you can yeah. now do these things and you had to do it a different way before. Right. And, and so I get what you're saying. I'm, I'm going to just say there's an opposite side of that too, which mm-hmm. is to say that it could be that you hired in new developers and they're not familiar with the old way of doing stuff that is all throughout your code. <laughs> yeah, it could work both ways. Because they've, they've never worked on Laravel 5. So why yeah. would you, like, I don't even know what this means you would yeah. you wouldn't do it that way in, in Laravel nine or whatever yeah and and so i think it really depends on the specifics so mm-hmm. it feels like a non-answer but it's 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 there's no real one answer it's a, you know does it become more readable does it become easier to follow to the people that are the stakeholders that are going to be reading and following it yeah i think part of why we're even discussing this is we we internally don't have a clear rule yet like we're, we're still kind of figuring this out and and like so many things you can kind of see it from both sides um, what about the, the issue of consistency? Like, let, let's say I'll pick a specific feature, you know, like, um, now in PHP 8.1, you can do uh, constructor property promotion, or maybe it was 8.0. I can't remember, mm-hmm. but like, that's a pretty mechanical change. Would you start just doing that in new files or files you edit, or would you be like, you know what, let's just go update all the constructors. It's a pretty mechanical, low risk change. Let's just do it. Yeah, what is what is the I guess what is the what does the change get you? Mm-hmm. That that's the question. And so I might change them if I'm working in the constructor. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you could like in the older way of doing it, you could pass in a couple of um, parameters. Yeah. And you might then assign them to a property and then mm-hmm. maybe the last line of constructor does a little bit of math or something yeah. and assigns it to another property. So if I have to change that math calculation, I might then change the variables that are getting set above it to mm-hmm. constructor promotion. Um, but if I don't have to touch that math, I'm not going to touch the rest of it because, um, there's, you have to, you have to have a number of tools set up in order on your project in order to do these mechanical changes. Cause you say they're only mechanical changes, but I argue whenever you have a a person doing a thing, it has mechanical changes plus bucks. Um, so, you know, if you talk about that, the only way I would ever consider that is I have 95% unit test coverage. I have code standing, uh, code standard tool mm-hmm. scanning stuff, all that kind of things. 
so that when I make those changes, I'm reasonably certain I didn't introduce a bug. If you're like a lot of the projects we see and you only have like 20, 30% of coverage so far yeah. and you're working on it, yeah. um, don't do mechanical things. If the, if the code is working, sorry, don't touch it. You're, you're making a product for people and people can't put up with bugs. Yeah, there, there's different risk profiles. I mean, it's not just the size of the team like we already talked about, but even kind of the maturity of the project and uh, how big of a safety net do you have with test coverage? But yeah, like a tool like Rector, you could just throw that at your code base with 15% test coverage and it might be fine. But like, oh, I hear what you're saying is it also might not. And so yeah. is it worth it in that scenario? Probably not. You probably don't want to take a plunge on something that you're not going to rigorous, rigorously do a, a, you know, like regression testing across the whole the code base because of this mechanical quote unquote change. Well, then for a larger team too, let's just say you have a dev manager and they're responsible for your team's outputs, output and project and all that kind of stuff. And you do something like that and it breaks and releases a bug to production. Yeah. Them trying to con convey that information to, you know, the more non-technical stakeholders. Mm -hmm. You wonder why they get cranky with you or don't want you to do it because what are they <laughs> supposed to say? Oh, right. our devs did something that actually gives no customer value yeah. or customer value. I can't really explain. And it broke something. Yeah. So, why is there a bug in this feature? We didn't touch that, did we? Like, yeah, that was done two years ago. Why did you break that? <laughs> yeah. That's or like the cost of saying like, well, now now we have to further test all this stuff with right. the QA team, you know. Yeah. I think the last um, the one I mentioned was the, um, you know, getting upgrades for security. Mm, yeah. And and so that one's almost more of a cut and try to rule, which is if you need to make upgrades for security, you should. Um, yes. Yeah. As soon as possible. <laughs> right. There, there, there are there are a couple caveats to that. Um, but you really have to know what you're talking about, what you're doing. Yeah. So I can give an example of I have a friend uh, that's uh, working on a JavaScript pro JavaScript project, um, and she was updating it. Um, and NPM keeps talking about their security holes, mm -hmm. you know, and she can't seem to fix all of them with updates. And so I said, well, look at what some of the ones are and are they high? Are they medium or low? Yeah. So she was down it. to like a couple low. And so I said, well, look at one of those lows and see what it is. And it turns out it was like something with like, Oh, Webpack um, dev server when used with a third party and this and this. And like, yeah. it was a huge string of things that I knew she wasn't doing. Right. I'm like, well, you don't technically have to fix that one. Yeah. But again, that's a very slippery slope because you could at some point forget that you haven't fixed that issue. Sure. Um, but it, it, it's, it's again, it's, it's, it's kind of weighing then like how, how likely is this to, to affect me? And when I say that, I don't mean like how likely am I as a as a business to be picked on by hackers mm. because the answer is 100 percent. Yeah, it's automated um, most times. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's how likely is the scenario for someone to set it up to take advantage of it. Yeah, if it's something like like you just mentioned, only when you're running a Webpack server and it's only in your local dev environment, that's different than something that can be publicly remotely exploited. Right. I am a fan of listening to podcasts, not just making them. And um, I noticed something weird. It's, it's it's a few months ago now. And so some of the podcasts I listen to are they have they have like sponsor breaks, right? So not not the the host saying, oh, go sign up for whatever, but like, you know, official commercials. I think of podcasts mm -hmm. maybe come from NPR or, or, or some some official business type thing where they, they have people that inject ads. And um I don't mind that. You know, there's a skip button on my uh, my podcast player so I can jump right past them. But the other day, a few months ago, I noticed a pattern where 
I started getting all the ads in Spanish. And I can't for the life of me figure out why. Like, I'm sure there's some sort of like surveillance capitalism going on. And I clicked on something and now they think I speak Spanish. But first of all, Aaron, have you ever <laughs> encountered that? Or do you have a theory on why that might be? Uh, okay, so <laughs> how, to phrase, how to phrase this without admitting to something illegal. Oh, um, the plot thickens. <laughs> yeah, I have used a VPN mm. to connect to Norway. Okay. And then have, have Googled things. And then Google thought I was speaking their language. Yeah. Okay. So I wonder if it's a similar thing. Were you using a VPN or anything like that? I, I wasn't. Um, it's weird. You're saying you're not, but you're shaking your head yes on our video. <laughs> I'm, I'm nodding along because <laughs> I've thought about this already for a while. And I hadn't considered that possibility that there was something actually like location based where mm -hmm. uh, it might think, oh, you know, maybe if I used a VPN in Argentina, it's like, oh, you must speak Spanish. Um, interesting. No, I don't have a VPN because this is on my phone. That's where I listen to podcasts. So I definitely don't. I haven't traveled abroad. But one <laughs> other kind of cool side effect of this is uh, NPR, for example, must have a lot fewer Spanish ads. Because I also oh. noticed that while the ones I was getting were Spanish, there was like way less of them. You know, a normal ad break might have two or three. And they might have like three of those breaks in a 30 minute podcast. And all of a sudden, like the, the, the podcast would say, oh, we're going to break or whatever. And then they would just keep talking. I'm like, I guess I didn't get any ads on that one. So I, I was actually sort of enjoying it and it's gone away now. So I kind of want to figure out how to get it back because it was a great hack for uh, minimizing ads in my podcast feed. Joel asked me if there was one thing I'd want listeners to do, what advice would give what we want them to do. And I said, I think it's share the podcast. You don't want them to give us money? You're so noble, Aaron. <laughs> sure. If you want to share it, we would appreciate it. You can uh, direct anybody to show.nocompromises.io and they can subscribe there. Mm -hmm.